Now, as it's May Missions Month, we've got our special guest today with us, and I'm going to ask Nerily to come on up the front. And uh, so we're going to put Nerily under the under the spotlight, literally. We've got two spotlights up here. So come on up, Nerily. And Nerily was telling me before the service, it's two years ago since we had Destiny Rescue with us. Um, so, yeah, so very surprised. Last time you got to see Narrowly was she was looking straight down the camera. There's five of us in the greenhouse. We're in lockdown, and that's all that was allowed. So at least you get to see the people today. I'm glad those days are over. Yeah, amen. I'm hearing you there, sister. So Narrowly, um, apart from being uh, the daughter of a very famous lady here at Kiwana Life, um, <laughs> going to ask you a couple of quick questions. How long have you been with Destiny Rescue? Um, As of last week, uh, I've been with Destiny Rescue for eight years. Doesn't feel like it, but it's been eight years. All right, eight. There we go. (laughs) Hello, everybody. Eight years. So what sort of things have you done with Destiny Rescue in those eight years? So when I, went, when, when I was employed um, back eight years ago, I was employed as their team trips manager. So I had the privilege of taking many teams over to see the projects that we're doing overseas, especially in Cambodia and Thailand. Okay, so that's starting to open up again? Uh, yes, not, not yet, but we're changing our model a bit now. Okay. So we've gone from having um, a lot of safe homes to working with partner organisations with the safe homes. So we're concentrating on what we're really good at, and that is rescue. Okay. So we won't be running the team trips as we did before. All right. So that's some of the changes that have come over. And the whole model's changing too. Like the governments kind of aren't supporting the whole institution-type orphanage thing anymore. Okay. And before Destiny Rescue, what else did you get up to? Ah, I um, had the privilege of working with Donnie's brother and sister-in-law and other brother in YWAM. So I was working with Youth With Mission for 14 years in the United States and um, Brisbane, Townsville and the Sunshine Coast up Uh until 2006. Then I became a tour guide here on the Sunshine Coast for a few years and then I went and worked with my brother-in-law and his accountancy firm, which was totally left field to what I've been doing in the past. (laughs) And, doesn't sound and like I hated maths at school too. So doesn't sound like, from your voice there, it doesn't sound like it was an exciting time. Um, it was all right. It was all right? It, it, was, it gave me time to work out where God wanted me in the future. Very good. Now, just because she's mentioned that she knows my brothers um, and there's stories there, that doesn't mean over coffee today <laughs> you can go and ask, so tell us some stories. <laughs> all right. Of course I can. Well, Narrowly. I'm not going to take any more of your time. Um, Thank you very much for being with us, and I'm glad you can be in the building with us. That'll be awesome. Thank you very much. Well, it is a pleasure being here again this morning. As Donnie said, it was two years ago, and it was down the lens of a camera. So it's nice to actually see the faces that I'm privileged being here. Um, Today I'm speaking on human trafficking, and it's a topic that not everyone wants to hear about or talk about. It's not something that comes up at the dinnertime conversations, but it's a very important topic. And if we don't talk about it, then who will? But it's also a topic that has a lot of hope to it. You know, we've got thousands of testimonies of children that have been rescued, that have had their lives transformed and are able to do things now that they would never have been able to do if we hadn't intervened. So... 
Um, today's theme is around Jesus' mission while he was on earth and our mission today. Uh, so let's quickly look at Luke 4, verse 18. Um, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Back in 2011, my journey started in this whole area of human trafficking. I um, went over to Cambodia with a couple of uh, women pastors from my church. And if you remember, if you're old enough to remember, back in the late 70s, Cambodia had gone through a pretty rough time under the leadership of Pol Pot uh, and his party called the Khmer Rouge. And back in those days, it was called Kampuchea. Basically, Pol Pot annihilated a quarter of the population, either through starvation, disease or execution. And basically 30 years later, after I was there, um, what I saw was a population that 80% were under the age of 40 years old. And it was a country that was still in devastation and still trying to recover from those, from those times. Uh, the other thing I saw is that human trafficking was on, on the rise. Families were forced to send their kids out onto the street to look for work. And because of the lack of education, the lack of skills, uh, you've got to remember the whole um, po- ageing population had been taken out, so there was no one to pass on the skills to the younger ones, and especially the children. So the only jobs that were available for people back then was, or even today still, is... Um, working in the bars or massage parlours or establishments like that, and that's where the abuse and the exploitation started to take place. Um, And the cause of human trafficking today right throughout the world, not just Cambodia, is um, poverty and and the lack of education. So basically a majority of the population, even Australia, there's trafficking here in Australia. Many people are under the belief that uh, human trafficking was abolished many years ago, that it doesn't exist anymore. But this is so untrue. There are actually more slaves today than ever before in history. It just comes under a new name called human trafficking. Um, We read in Luke 4 that Jesus came to set these very people free. Um, At this time in Luke, Jesus had spent 40 days uh, in the desert being tempted by the devil He had gone to uh, Galilee, started his teaching ministry and his uh, reputation was starting to spread out through the land. He returned to his hometown, Nazareth, and as normal on the Sabbath, he went into the, the synagogue and basically he was there to make one statement and that statement was to announce what his mission on earth was to be and his mission basically, in one word, was to rescue Um, Jesus wasn't coming to earth just to preach great news about the kingdom of God, but he was coming to fulfill his father's will and bring deliverance to his people. When we look at the ministry of Jesus on earth, um, we see that it was centered around the vulnerable, those that were spiritually, socially and economically poor. Vulnerability often leads to exploitation, oppression and injustice. And Jesus asks us today to 
um, be a part of his rescue mission and ad- address the area of injustice. We see this in a number of examples in the gospel, particularly one um, is the woman at the well. Uh, she was from Samaria, which was a town that uh, the Jews avoided, like the plague. And he was there speaking to a woman, which was definitely not culturally acceptable. But he cared for this woman. He listened to her. He knew all about her. He knew that she had had five husbands before, and the one that she was with now wasn't her husband. Uh, she, he spent more time with this woman in the book of Luke than any other, any other person. He even announced to her that he was the promised, the promised Messiah. And he set her up to be his messenger to the community that actually rejected her. We see in a number of stories in the Gospels where he ministered to the prostitutes, to the sinners, the tax collectors. Um, Jesus was all about the one, caring for the, caring for the one because the one was very important to him. Statistics say with human trafficking, there's 1.2 million children that are trafficked every year. Now, that's a huge figure, and Destiny Rescue has a goal of ending human trafficking in our lifetime. And when you look at the figure of 1.2 million, that's huge and that's overwhelming, and we could very easily not do anything about it. And when this happens, I'm often reminded of the story of the starfish. If you're not familiar with this story... It's about a boy who was on the beach just after a storm had come through his town and he was there. There was hundreds and hundreds of thousands of starfish washed up on the beach and he was there just picking up the starfish and throwing it back into the water. There was an old gentleman coming along on his morning walk and he looked at the boy, saw saw him and said, what are you doing? And the boy said, the sun's about to come up, the tide's about to go out. If I don't get these starfish back into the water, they're going to die. And the man looked at the amount of starfish on the beach, looked at the boy and said, there's no way that you can make a difference. And the boy bent down, he picked up a starfish, threw it in the water and said, for that one, I did make a difference. And it's that with Destiny Rescue. We go after the one and then the next one and the next one. And to date, we're just shy of 9,000 rescues since 2011, and that's a lot of ones. And I believe even today, you know, if I was the only one that needed salvation and Jesus was here, he would still go to the cross for me or for any, any one of you. So it's important that we look at the one. As I mentioned earlier, I've been to Cambodia a number of times now, and you don't have to go very far from the airport before you start seeing... Um, KTVs or um, karaoke television bars. They've um, become very much part of the landscape and the culture. They're found in every small town and every large city. They're the place that you go to have a good time and to hook up with girls. Our agents one night went into one of these karaoke television bars in a city that they were working in and by the time they got up to the third floor to where they were going they noticed that there was about 300 um, women in this establishment. They were doing their hair and makeup and waiting for the customers to arrive. But the thing that they did notice is about a third of um, the women in this establishment were under the age of 18, were just children. So our agents, they were taken down a long corridor into a room. There was no windows. There was just big, large TV screens playing music. 
and the manager there ordered one of the girls to go and get our guys some drinks. While she was doing that, he lined up about 15 girls in front of our guys um, and one of the things that the guys noticed is that the girls were full of shame. They couldn't even look at our guys in the eyes. They didn't want to be in a place like this. And it made our guys feel a bit like perverts, but they had to keep their cover. They had to pretend that they were having a good time and laugh with each other, but while at the same time they were looking for um, girls that, are, that were under the age. And there was a number of them that night, and there was um, many rescued from that. But the sad thing is that there's such a demand for sex in the world that an establishment like this has to exist, much less the other 800 that are in ju- just in Cambodia alone. So who is Destiny Rescue and what do we do? So we're a Christian-based organisation and our mission is to rescue children from human trafficking and sexual exploitation and help them stay free. We have agents who go into the darkest places around the earth where no one else will go looking for these children and getting them out. Um, Currently, we are in nine project nations, rescuing in nine countries, uh, six in Asia and one in Africa. Last year during COVID, we opened up in Uganda and that work there is expanding. So we've been invited to go into a number of different cities in Uganda And at the moment, we're looking at um, countries that are surrounding Uganda as well. Uh, And we have two in Latin America. One in Latin America just opened up a couple of of weeks ago. And the reason why I can't tell you the specific places of a lot of the countries is because the danger that it can lead to our um, rescue agents and to the girls that we're rescuing if it it gets out onto social media. And then a lot of the countries are sensitive government-wise as well. But every country um, that we work in, rescue looks a little bit different. Some countries we do covert rescues, which like what I said in the KTV, where agents are just going into the bars looking for girls, um, building trust with them and um, offering them a way out. We're also working with um, the police, the equivalent of the FBI, Um, in in the raid situation. And the great thing about the raids when we can go in and do raids is multiple children are rescued and the perpetrator um, is uh, is arrested. We also have 15 border stations along the border of Nepal where we have female rescue agents there and their job is to identify girls who have been tricked to thinking that they've met the love of their life online and all they have to do is sneak out of home, get across the border and their promised marriage and a good job. But the problem is they get across the border and they end up in the hands of a pimp who will either sell them themselves or sell them to somebody else, uh, to another establishment. And the problem here is they can get trafficked anywhere around the world and it's very hard to track them down and rescue them. So our agents there who are female are there to identify these girls. They've got permission from the government to stop any vehicle or any individual going across the border to ask them questions. If it looks like the girl has been trafficked, then she'll be taken aside, put into one of our safe homes until we can get her family, her parents there, and then we will educate them on the dangers of human trafficking. Uh, we also have uh, what we call survival rescues. So uh, in a lot of these countries, especially in um, Uganda, we've found that kids are going out into the street 
um, and offering their bodies out just to put food on the on the table. It's it's that desperate. So we're intervening there, providing families with food um, packages and help. Last year, 2021, was our biggest year ever in, in rescues. So we performed 92 successful raids along with the police. 147 perpetrators were arrested and 2,386 um, individuals were rescued. This year, we have even bigger goal uh, and we're wanting to expand into more countries. And, and I just want to say thank you for this, Church. Your giving is helping us to, to do the work that we're doing. Without, without our um, supporters, then we can't do the work that we are doing. Uh, rescues are a big part of what we do. But if we stopped at rescues, then there's a good chance that a lot of the children that we rescue would end up back in, back in these establishments. So we have to have a good system in place. And we have what we call our Pathways to Freedom course. So once a child has been rescued, she'll go into our care for a short time and in that time she'll be assessed. And either two, one of two things will happen. If it's safe to do so, she will return to her village with her family and go through her rehabilitation uh, in her own community and her family. But if it's not safe to do so, if the parents have been responsible for her being trafficked in the first place, then um, she will go into one of our safe homes. If not one of our safe homes, and we're working with a number of partner organisations and churches in the areas that we're rescuing, and they'll be placed in there. And in both cases, they'll receive counselling, medical care, life skills, uh, Christian studies, um, education if they need it, vocational training and safe job placement. Shrey was a girl that I met on one of my first uh, trips over to Cambodia with Destiny Rescue. Uh, she was a victim who had to testify against her perpetrator in the largest pedophile case ever in the history of Cambodia. Unfortunately, he... Um, the perpetrator was uh, pardoned by the king only a few years into his sentence. But Shrey, she went on, she graduated from our sewing school, school and she was reintegrated back with her family. One of our social workers helped her find a job in a safe clothing factory and today she is managing 200 staff and earning 300 US dollars a month, which is a huge amount for a Cambodian, much less... A woman. Uh, she is now married to a good Christian man, has a family of her own, and they are able to build their own home. Um, the photo on the right, over here, John Joe Mann and his wife um, Tammy left America during COVID to go over and be country managers in Cambodia. And uh, there was about 10 to 14 girls who wanted to get baptised during this time. And because of lockdown, they were unable to leave the premises. So Joe got very creative and filled, lined the back of our ute and then filled it up with water and baptised the girls in, in the back of the Destiny Rescue truck. Unfortunately, a month after that photo was taken, um, Joe and Tammy got COVID and Joe didn't make it um, because of some underlying health issues that he had. So Tammy had to um, return to the States on her own. Um, just a couple of weeks ago, we had 35 baptisms in, in Uganda. 
And these are the good things that um, Destiny Rescue are, are doing, that these opportunities wouldn't have happened if we, if we weren't there. Um, so many children that we rescue have the privilege of going out and getting great education and, and good-paying jobs. But the best thing of all, or the two best things of all, is one is that most of them have a personal encounter with Jesus and it transforms their lives and their families' lives. And they also are free and they get to go to bed at night to sleep and not to work. Unfortunately, there's so much more to do. There's so many more children to be rescued. As I stand here this morning, there'll be another child who's been uh, abused, exploited and sold without any hope of a future. And if we don't get them tonight, then somebody else will. Um, these kids are the poorest of the poor and slavery robs a child of their freedom. It robs them of the opportunity to be children. It robs them of so many things. But as we partner with churches, with individuals, we can bring hope to these, to these children and we can bring their childhood back. We can give them opportunities where they get to live again, where they get to, to get good jobs like we've seen here. And, uh, and I just want to take this opportunity in closing now to thank this church for, for partnering with us and helping these things um, able to take place. And we look forward to a future of partnering again this year. So thank you. And I'll be at the back if anyone um, has any questions or if anyone else wants to get any uh, further involved in what we're doing. Happy to have a chat with you. And thank you for this opportunity. And I'll hand it back to... Somebody. <laughs> Thank you very much, Nerily. Really appreciate what you shared with us today. And, and I do want to encourage you all to grab hold of Nerily afterwards and have a big chat to her and, and find out a bit more what's going on. Uh, being Mother's Day, um, uh, we've got Paul who's going to come and share with us. Um, As I was told by my wife the other day, if you let me finish, um, we want to encourage people to get in and do ministry. Um, you know, Anne and John hear something, bounce it, and off they go. Um, Paul felt God speak to him about speaking today, had a chat to a few of us, and we said, yep, sounds a good thing in us. So we're going to give Paul the microphone today to, to bring what he believes the Lord's laid on his heart to share with us on a day such as today. So, Paul, God bless you. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for this man. Thank you for his heart. Thank you for his obedience. And thank you for what you will lead him and use him and speak through him. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, mate. Am I coming through? Oh, yeah. You mind flicking those lights off and head off? Thank you. Um, a disclaimer this morning. Um, this message is not original with me. Um, the, the content was heavily borrowed from uh, John Sweetman when he came to Birkdale Baptist Church when we were there on Mother's Day in 2010. Um, John was one of my lecturers at Marion College at the time and he very generously allowed me to pass this on. So you can blame him for the good bits and me for the bad bits. But ever since then I've um, felt that this message deserves sharing more widely and it's been on my heart for a few years, but until now I didn't feel ready for it. Um, I still may not be ready for it. So um, if I don't make it through, please accept my apologies in advance. 
Angela and I were talking about this last night in the car and she said, you're not going to cry, are you? And I went, <laughs> Anyway, have you ever wondered what if... I've got some slides coming soon. But I think many of us have asked ourselves that question after looking back at a decision or an event. It's also a recurring theme in film. And I've got a few here for you today. Some of you might have seen It's a Wonderful Life, where Jimmy Stewart plays a man who's um, financially ruined and he's about to throw himself off a bridge, but he meets an angel named Clarence. What a great name for an angel, eh? (laughs) And, And Clarence takes him on a journey and says, what if you had never been born? And he discovers a lot of things along that along that journey. Or a couple more. Um, one of my favourites is Nicolas Cage in The Family Man. He plays a billionaire who's sitting at home by himself on Christmas Eve alone and he meets a different kind of angel, one who gives him a glimpse of what his life would have been like had he married his college sweetheart and had a couple of kids. Or another slightly different what-if story is Gwyneth Paltrow in Sliding Doors. She runs up to a train to catch the train on the way to work and misses the train, or doesn't. And the the movie splits in two, and it says, what if she had caught that train, or what if she had missed it? And the implications in her life are quite profound and and far-reaching. Or another one that I've I've enjoyed recently is um, Donald Gleeson, who plays a young man named Tim in a movie called About Time. And when when, uh, Tim reaches his 21st birthday, his father, who's played by the wonderful Bill Nye, who's a great actor, um, he, he says, oh, by the way, son, all of the males in our family can travel through time. And so Tim gets to play his own what-if with his own life. Um, and I've just finished reading a novel which, which prosecutes this idea to its fullest extent. It's um, Francis Spufford's Light Perpetual. And Spufford is a Christian writer in the UK and this book came about because he kept walking past this plaque on his way to work next one there mate remembering Woolworths 168 people killed in Britain's worst V2 attack 25th of November 1944 Spufford was struck by this and he researched and found out more um, on 25th of November 1944, at 12.26pm, on a busy shopping Saturday, a German V2 rocket bomb made a direct hit on a crowded Woolworth store in London's New Cross. The aftermath resembled battlefield carnage that you can see here. The colossal blast threw people into the air, overturned lorries, caused vehicles to burst into flames. Streets were ankle-deep in glass. Blood-stained survivors lay on the pavements or staggered around in a daze or hysterics. Neighbouring shops and houses were reduced to rubble while choking dust and smoke filled the air. 168 people were killed outright, some of them even in the neighbouring co-op and some of their desks in nearby offices. Of those victims, 33 were children, including 15 under 11. Some were babies in their prams. 123 passers-by were injured, many very seriously, and it was one of the worst losses of civilian life on British soil during World War, uh, the Second World War. 
And thinking about those events, it continued to haunt Francis Spufford and it weighed so heavily on him that he decided to ask his own what if. And he attempted to give those five children from that day a fictional life that they never had. So his book explores one day in the life of each character every 15 years from 1949 to 2009 and he created uh, plausible personalities, relationships and situations for them. And we're going to look at a passage today that prompts us to ask the same what-if question again. So um, Trish is going to come and read it for us and it will be on the screen as well. My voice triggered it, obviously. It's taken from Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 to 16, and I'm reading from the New International Version. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, You also go and work in my vineyard and I'll pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, Why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they said. He said to them, You also go and work in my vineyard. When the evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. Thank you very much, Trish. Wonderful. Now this uh, parable from the master storyteller is pretty straightforward compared to a lot of parables. It's... it's, uh, fairly clear there's an authority figure here and he seems to represent God and the work being done has something to do with God's kingdom and there are different interactions between God and the people which tell us something about that kingdom. And the setting of the story is one that anyone in Jesus' audience would have understood immediately. Everyone knew the life of an agricultural day worker. It was a hand-to-mouth existence where feeding one's family was dependent on being ready early in the day being there when the landowners came around to hire and being strong enough to labour for a full day. Now, the times mentioned in the the story are not like our clock times. Um, They're just approximate. In the first century Jewish reckoning of time, you had 
sunrise and sunset, and it was divided into 12 hours. And that didn't, it didn't matter whether it was summer or winter, the, they were still 12 hours, regardless of the length of the day. So 12 noon, or the sixth hour, as some translations say, is just halfway through the day, and the third hour, or nine o'clock, is a quarter of the way through the day, and so on. But that part of the day where the work's actually being done in the vineyard is sort of bypassed in the story, isn't it? It's when the landowner comes to pay time at the end of the day where things get interesting. And here it's where we learn the first principle of the kingdom in this passage, that God is incredibly generous. So for a moment, let's put ourselves in the position of the man who was hired at five o'clock. He's probably not the strongest worker or the most skilled or the most reliable. Otherwise, he would have been hired at the beginning of the day, right? He's probably standing around feeling less valued already because he's had nothing to do all day except watch other people work around him and listen to his empty stomach churn and wonder what his wife is going to say when he comes home with nothing. And he's wondering how he can look his children in the eye and tell them there's not going to be any dinner again tonight. But then at five o'clock, he's thrown that lifeline by the landowner, and he thinks, it may not be great, but at least I'll have something to show. I can tell my wife I ate earlier, and we can at least make sure the kids get, have something in their tummy before bed. But then the landowner asks, what if? In fact, it's a really big what if, isn't it? It's what if you had been hired at the start of the day and you got paid that much? Yeah, let's do that. How, how do we even begin to grasp that kind of generosity? Then when it comes to the pay, the time to pay the, se- the workers who are hired at the beginning of the day, we get another principle of God's kingdom. And that is that God is scrupulously fair. Or is he? The workers hired at the beginning of the day didn't seem to be very happy with what they got, did they? And our natural reaction is to agree with them. I certainly identify most strongly with the ones who were the hard workers quietly doing their best through the day and then they get to the end of the day and they deserve better attention, better recognition for what they did, right? But is that actually fair? Is fairness in the eye of the beholder? So I... um, some of you may know of a guy named Tim Mander. He's currently a state opposition politician. Um, but before that, he was the CEO of Scripture Union. And before that, he was a referee in the NRL. He refed the grand finals in 2004 and five, I think. And while he was an NRL ref, he was studying to, to um, take over the reins at um, Scripture Union. And we went to the same Bible college and we, um, we studied under the same church history lecture. Now, it's disappointing. Jamie's not here today. So our church history lecturer was a bulldog's tragic. And, and I, of course, being a Broncos man, just like Donnie, um, took every opportunity I could to stir him about what a grub dean pay was and all that sort of thing. And we would, you know, talk to, we would talk to Tim about, about the things that were happening in the game. And, and I'll never, never forget one of the things he said to me one time when I was complaining about some aspect of the Bulldogs' unfairness and how the players, players should have known better. And he, he said to me one thing, he said, the players don't actually know all the rules, you know. The players might be professional 
might be professionals who, who do it all the time, but we're the ones who study the rules. It's our job to know the rules. And obviously you can't depend on the players to be, to be fair, to understand what the rules, how the rules apply to their situation. And, and obviously we as fans can't do that either because we're backing our team. So the refs are the only ones on the field who actually can objectively judge. And it's the same with this passage. When we hear the landowner's response, we have to change our tune. We have to say, actually, we're, you're right. Those who, can, who got what they, uh, those who got employed at the start of the day got exactly what they agreed to. They got exactly what they wanted. They worked the whole day for a day's wage, which is what a denarius was. Then when we look at the landowner's actions in this story, we see that even after he's hired the workers he needed at six o'clock in the morning, he keeps visiting the marketplace throughout the day because in God's kingdom, no one misses out. Because he is scrupulously fair, he, he fulfills his obligations to the first hired workers. But they're not the ones on his mind, are they? His thoughts are elsewhere with those who weren't actually sure whether they were going to get hired. The ones who've been waiting for the first quarter of the day or half of the day or most of the day, he keeps going back to the marketplace to find them, to make sure that those who've missed out are not disappointed. So why are we talking about this on Mother's Day? It's been a little bit of a sort of more somber Mother's Day service, hasn't it? Isn't this supposed to be a celebration of all the great things about our mums and, and all of that? And we're going to have a wonderful morning tea. I, I don't know who, who's responsible for decorating that table at the back, but it looks awesome. But I wanted to share this message with you because I believe motherhood is firstly one of the most important things in God's kingdom, one of the most important works that, that someone can do. And yet our experiences of mothers vary so dramatically so that whether you are a mother or whether you've just had a mother, motherhood seems to offer some of the greatest opportunities for missing out. You might have lost your mother at an early age and always wondered what your life might have been like had she been with you longer. You might have... <laughs> okay. You might have lost your mother later in life to a terrible cancer. You might be a mother who lost a baby before he or she was ever born. You might be a young mother who found yourself pregnant to a man who never intended to be a responsible father and were forced to give your child up for adoption. You might be a mother who got an unexpected phone call and learned that your adult child has just died in a terrible accident. You might be a woman who's always wanted to be a mother through circumstances that you can't control, you've never been able to have a child. You might be a mother who's watched her child die a slow, painful death to bone cancer. You might be a mother who looked after children who were not her own, sometimes thanklessly, sometimes even without outright opposition. You might be the child of that young woman forced into adoption and always wanted to know your birth mother. But when you found her and went to see her, the memory of, 
what happened to her was so traumatic that she refused to accept you as her child. All those examples I've just given you are real stories drawn only from the experiences of Angela's family and mine. I'm sure when it comes to motherhood, your family has its own stories of missing out. Even for those of us who've had wonderful mothers. Let's just return for a minute to Francis Spufford. When he was interviewed about the book that he mentioned, that he talked about on uh, uh, Centre for Public Christianity's Life and Faith podcast, he said this. What I believe is that when children get killed by a bomb, everything they lose is somehow made good by a loving God. That God's capacity to remember what happened and who we have been and who we might have been and who we should have been if we've had, we'd had the chance. He takes care of that. I don't know how. I'm not looking at the world from a God's eye view, but what I can do is offer a kind of image in this book that works in fictional terms, that goes well as a kind of image of God's unfailing embrace towards lost things. It's a little fictional counterpart of what I think is really happening in the world. Far more can be mended than you know. The supply of hope and consolation and new beginnings in the world is not limited by human beings' own capacity to generate those things. We aren't left on our own to do it. There is a power of mending out there which offers us hope and consolation that we don't have to be able to make for ourselves. So if you remember nothing about today except this, the one thing I want you to take away is that because of God's incredible generosity, because of his impeccable fairness, because of his dedication to doing right by those who have missed out, you can trust him to ultimately make good on the pain or loss you have experienced. If you've been left standing around until five o'clock wondering where the work to get your next meal will come from, you can trust him to be there searching. When the work finally does come and you're finished for the day, you can also trust him to be there waiting in the marketplace with your denarius asking, what if? What if we made it as if you'd never missed out? That's all I have for you today. I'm going to pass back to Randall and the team. But if you'd like prayer, then I can't do it because COVID's come to our house this week. But the pastors will be available if you'd like to come down the front and pray. Thanks a lot.